Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today. So, regarding what Pastor Jonathan said about the golf tournament and me inviting bad golfers, I do want to make one thing clear. I, I do that because I myself am terrible at golf. I don't know if anyone's ever actually good at golf, but I know I am not. So if you're bad and you want to have no pressure whatsoever, and you want to, let's be honest, probably cheat a little bit here and there, come join, join my team and, and we'll, have, we'll have a good time. So I'm Pastor John, by the way, and I cheat at golf. <laughs> Welcome to Stonebridge. So this week we're beginning a new sermon series where we're looking at this one literary device that the Gospel of Mark uses, that the writer used. And it needs some explanation here. It's called Stonebridge Deli. That's the sermon series title. Because this literary device is called a Markin sandwich. I did not make this up, by the way. Um, this is something that biblical scholars talk about, and it's unique to the Gospel of Mark. So here's basically what Mark will do. And I have a a visual prompt here, okay? This is fake bread, by the way. See this? <laughs> I didn't steal it from my kids. I stole it from the church kids. It's, it was from the kids' kids' room over there. Um, my kids are fine. <laughs> so Mark will take one story, a first story, and here's that first story. Mark will cut it in half. Take the beginning and take the end and separate those. And then Mark places a second story, you see this cheese? Yeah. In the middle of those two. And it's the Mark sandwich. You see how that works? So you get the beginning of one story and then all of a sudden Mark will shift to a second story. And then that second story will end and Mark jumps back to the original story and wraps that one up. And the point of this is I think... Uh, really to highlight a deeper point, that by looking at these two stories and combining them together, something deeper can be learned, rather than if the stories were just on their own. So each story can teach you something on its own, but when you combine them, there's something new, something different. The other reason I think Mark does this is it's a rhetorical device used to help people's memory. Originally, the Gospel of Mark would have been read out loud, and having these different little sandwiches throughout, it helps you to remember what's happening. By tying the two together in association, it's a classic rhetorical device. So the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the different instances of this in the Gospel of Mark. There's around seven of them. And this week, we're going to begin with the first one that shows up in the Gospel from Mark chapter 5, and in order to help me read this, I'm going to invite Laura Melanowski up here, who's also going to be speaking during the sermon um, about Sarah's house as we move through this passage here. And Laura's going to help me read this scripture now. You ready? I am. All right. Thank you. So this is Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. It's a rather long passage because it is two stories combined, but I invite you to hear the word of God. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, 
My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, you touched, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Thank you. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Lord, teach us now through your scriptures, through these two stories that have been woven together in the gospel of Mark. Help us to understand a deeper truth. Help us to understand what your Holy Spirit through Mark, the writer of the gospel, was trying to teach us, trying to teach Christians in Mark's day. Help us to understand what it means for our lives today. Speak to us now. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I think you could see there, obviously, I was reading the first story and Laura was reading the second story there, and I hope that that came across clearly. And you have these two stories that Mark has pulled together. The other gospels don't do this. This is unique to Mark, as I said. And the first story is, I think, fairly clear. There is a synagogue leader, a person of power named Jairus, who has a household who has a house, who has a family, who is surrounded by people in a position of authority, and he comes to Jesus, and he wants Jesus to heal his daughter because his daughter is about to die. And we're told that he falls at Jesus' feet, and he's begging him repeatedly to come and heal his daughter. So Jesus says yes. He goes, he follows Jairus. He goes into the home. The daughter has already died. But Jesus says she's not dead, she's sleeping. Everybody laughs at him, which, by the way, he walks into commotion and weeping, and they move to laughter really quickly in this story. But Jesus proves them all wrong, and he raises this girl up from the dead. 
That's the first story there. Basically, somebody who's in a position of authority comes to Jesus for help, bows down before Jesus for help, asks Jesus directly for help. In the second story, there's a woman. We never learn her name, but she's been bleeding for 12 years. She's been ripped off by doctors. She's paid doctor after doctor after doctor. Nothing has gotten better. Everything has gotten worse. And she doesn't come to Jesus directly. She comes to him indirectly without him even knowing. And she just tries to touch his cloak. She doesn't even want to bother him. She doesn't want to be noticed. She just wants to touch his cloak, be made well, and leave. It has a little kind of odd part there, though, where Jesus feels power coming out of him. But it works. The woman touches him. She's healed. Jesus feels it, though. And all of a sudden, she's put on the spot. And Jesus says, who touches me? And she falls down at Jesus' feet also, telling him everything. And Jesus says, go, your, your faith has made you well. These two stories have some similarities and some differences, but I think it's the differences that stand out the most here. And really, with the two main characters, they could not be any more different Jairus and this nameless woman, they really could not be any more different. One commentator writing on this says, this woman is at the opposite end of the social, economic, and religious spectrum from Jairus. While he is a male leader, she is a nameless woman. While he is a synagogue official, she is ritually unclean and thus excluded from the religious community. While he has a family and a large household, she must presumably live in isolation because of her condition. While he is rich, she is impoverished by payment of doctor's fees. They're about as different as you could be in Mark's day. She would have been unclean. And she's actually taking a risk in trying to touch Jesus because the way the laws worked, if an unclean person touches a clean person, that clean person becomes unclean and has to go through the whole purification. For 12 years, we're told, she was isolated and alone. And Jairus is the opposite. He has family, he's connected. They couldn't be any more different in the way the people in Mark's world would have looked at them. And I even think that that's why we don't get her name. We don't know her name in this story as a symbol of just how anonymous the society would have viewed her. So these two, they couldn't be any more different. But I think the main lesson here is actually in the similarities. What I think Mark is doing here in combining these two stories is showing us uh, the world may see them as different, but in many ways, they're very similar. I mean, one obvious similarity here is they both come to Jesus asking for healing. At the end of the day, they're both just human beings who are in need of being healed. And both of them, as I mentioned, fall at Jesus' feet. Jairus does it when he's begging Jesus to come and heal his daughter. The woman does it when Jesus calls her out and says, who touched me? But they both end up on the ground at Jesus' feet, which is where I think most of us humans end up eventually ultimately. 
So there's that similarity that is basic there. They're both human beings in need of healing like every other human being in this world. But then the other thing is that in this story, salvation is mentioned in both of these stories. You don't really hear it in the English translation, which annoys me a bit. But in the, in the Greek, when Jairus says, come and lay hands on my daughter so she might be made well. That phrase made well, that's a translation choice. In Greek, it's actually come and lay hands on my daughter so that she might be saved. But somebody decided to translate it as made well. And I think you lose some of the theology in this passage, some of the point of this passage that at the end of the day, these are people begging for salvation. When Jesus says to the woman, go, your faith has made you well. Again, he says, go, your faith has saved you. This is a form of salvation, a form of deliverance that they're begging for, that they're asking for, that Jesus grants them. So salvation is at play here. But then there's one clue there that I think just ties it all together. The woman has been suffering for 12 years, we're told. And if you caught it at the end of the first story, kind of awkwardly, Mark writes in here, the daughter was 12 years of age. We don't need that detail for the story. It doesn't really add much to the second story, but what it does is it ties these two together. What is in need of being healed is 12 years old for each of them, for both of them. What Jesus is addressing is 12 years old. It's Mark saying that though the world may look at them very differently, though Jairus may be a powerful leader that people acknowledge who can go directly to Jesus, who can speak directly to Jesus, can get Jesus' attention on his own, this woman that is anonymous, that has been struggling and isolated for 12 years, in God's eyes, is just the same as Jairus. These two are meant to be equal in the world in the way that they're equal in God's eyes. But Mark's world, Mark's society, doesn't treat them as such. And this is something that the Christians in the early church are to change. The Apostle Paul says a couple times in his letters, there is no male and no female. That in God's eyes, they're viewed the same. That's what I think Mark is doing here. That's what Mark is trying to highlight. And sadly, this is a lesson that I think we are still learning 2,000 years later in every culture in the world. Vast majority of cultures, women are treated very differently. And here in the United States, it is better, and I will acknowledge that, but there's still work to be done here as well. And just some of the latest census data this is the very basic stat. You could go into even more statistics about the disparities between men and women in the world and here in the United States, but just one basic one that's really hard to argue against. 51% of the population in the latest census was female. But when you get down to the people who live below the poverty line, 56% are women. So it's more likely to be in poverty if you're a woman in the United States than it is if you're a man. And it might sound like that 5% difference isn't that big of a deal, but that represents around 5 million women. 5 million more women who are in poverty in this country than men. Look, the world around us still isn't learning the lesson of what Mark is trying to teach us by showing us that this woman and Jairus are basically the same. And here's the thing with the gospel of Mark. It's not a gospel that is meant to just read. It's meant to be lived out. So when you see Mark teaching you something like Jairus and this woman are the same, so figure out in your communities how to treat women and men similarly, how to not be able to place a bet that a woman will be impoverished more than a man and to win that bet. 
When Mark is teaching you something like that, you're meant to live it out. You're meant to figure out how to actually do that. So that's why I'm going to invite Laura Milanowski to come up here. She's the executive director of Sarah's House. We're in this season in our church where we're working with Sarah's House. We're working with their ministry, coming alongside their ministry, trying to support what they're doing and helping women who have taken a step forward like this woman in the story in the Gospel of Mark, seeking salvation and how we might be able to help in that. So I'm going to hand it off to Laura now. Thank you, Pastor John. Thank you all for being here today. We so appreciate um, Stonebridge and our Stonebridge family for supporting Sarah's house. Um, In Mark 5, uh, verse 36, Jesus says, Do not fear, only believe. We all experience some kind of fear in our lives, but did you know that fear and anxiety grip over 40 million adults in the U.S. alone? As Christians, we know upon whom to cast that fear. And as Christians, we are all called to share that truth and knowledge with others. In Romans 15, 13, the Bible tells us, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. At Sarah's House Maternity Homes, we strive to share that hope with the women and children that we serve. The women that come to call Sarah's House home are not sure of what the future holds and are facing very difficult circumstances and decisions. They're often very full of fear. We have seen time and time again the Lord provide healing from drug addiction, abuse, and trauma, and lay a path of joy and peace leading to growth and independence and a beautiful life in Christ. It takes incredible faith and courage for each of our residents to move past the health challenges, injustices, and often severe traumas and abuse that they've suffered. John mentioned poverty. Poverty is a huge um, issue um, with the women that we serve. Much like the the woman that we heard about in Mark, at Sarah's house we share that God sees them and hears them and is with them in their struggles, and he will comfort them. For over 30 years, Sarah's house has provided the safe haven and firm foundation for women that need to make full life change through Christ for them and their children. We have two Christian homes, both located here in Simi Valley. House of Faith and House of Hope is our new, uh, our newest home. Our two Christian programs provide shelter, love, and encouragement for homeless, expectant, and single moms. Our programs are designed to establish and promote a sense of responsibility in the women we serve. They're not just a place to live. Um, education is completed, jobs secured, life skills learned, driver's license obtained, many of our women come in not knowing how to drive, money saved, cars purchased, meals shared, and families are reunited. We've seen oftentimes women come in with such brokenness that they have a path behind them of destruction with relationships and family members. And it's such a beautiful thing to see how through their growth and their family's understanding of what has happened in their lives and why that they're able to reunite. And that's a beautiful thing. Their lives are virtually made anew. You can feel God's presence and peace and grace when you walk through our doors. Our fully case-managed program includes weekly counseling, classes on parenting, cooking, nutrition, gardening, financial management, and budgeting, 
as well as adoption education, counseling, and support. We partner with Adoption Centers of America to provide lifetime coaching for the women that graduate our program. Classes are taught by a combination of volunteers and professionals, um, and each woman has established guidelines with regard to working, attending school, church, personal counseling, and household responsibilities. So there's some things that are certain and across the board for every woman that crosses our doors, but it is a unique program for each of them to meet their unique needs. Our residents are often working towards their license and saving for a car to help launch them to independence. We often say skin in the game. There's nothing given, um, but we are there to assist them. Our Bunko coming up on May 24th supports our automobile program, which will put tires on women's cars, oil changes, all of those types of things that are needed. Excuse me. <laughs> Our residents are taught and required to budget and save to reach their goals. In fact, they have to save 80% of their expendable income while they're with us. Our donors give their money to help them, but we want to make sure that we can launch them to independence. Most importantly, though, we share the love and grace of Jesus Christ through our love and acceptance for them. That love and acceptance they often have never seen. They've often never sat around a dinner table and had a meal as a family. And that's something that we do four nights a week. Our ministry is financially supported through donations from churches, individuals, civic foundations in Simi Valley, as well as our surrounding communities. We have a small staff. Right now we have four employees, which is up from about one and a half uh, seven years ago, so super excited about that. Um, volunteers are still an integral part of our ministry. Sarah's House sponsors monthly serve days. We'll have an opportunity June, June 24th, for Stonebridge family to come out and um, serve alongside us at Sarah's House and also at Tiny Treasures. I bring your family, your ministry, or small group, um, and help with household maintenance, yard work, and deep cleaning. Volunteers are also needed in many areas like life skill training, various events, as well as fundraisers. And we're always looking for handy women and handy men. Um, we upkeep both of our homes here in Simi. Um, many of you have seen our flyers and heard about the golf tournament. John mentioned it. Um, Jonathan mentioned it, which we're so thankful. All of that is benefiting Sarah's house, and we're so grateful for that. And um, obviously, if you're not a golfer, you're welcome to come. We have a great after party planned. Um, and also, you can join John, apparently. So... So are you a golfer or you know of one? We're sharing like crazy on social media. Yesterday went out to 18 um, different sites. So if you happen to see it, please share it. Um, if you don't golf, maybe you'd like to sponsor or contribute um, something for our silent auction. There's still time to do that. Join us for the after party, which is going to be amazing with our very own Lee Krabby playing with Big Mike in the Reckoning. So that's super exciting. We also have Bunko for Babies, as I mentioned, coming up on May 24th. It's a great ladies' night out for a great cause. It's just $20 to play. We have great raffle and prizes, and beginners are always welcome. We always do a time of devotion and prayer over Sarah's house that evening as well. So we'd love to have you join us. Our baby bottle campaign is a great way to support Sarah's house. Many of you have taken a bottle, and we sure are thankful for that. Um, fill them up and them on Mother's Day weekend, you can make a difference in the lives of women and their babies. Um, 
your change in that baby bottle can literally change a life. Um, the love and support of Stonebridge over the last 18 years has just been incredible, an incredible encouragement to me and to our staff and such a blessing, allowing us to dream big about ways that we can further support the families that walk through our doors and actually all the families in our community. Uh, 2023 marks the, our launch of House of Hope, which will be for women seeking to place their babies for adoption. As you can imagine, it's quite difficult to house them in the same home. So having two separate homes for that purpose is greatly needed. So this home specifically for women who are walking through that journey of adoption, our role is to offer stable housing during their pregnancy as we help them to plan for their adoption, but also give them a safe place to heal from the grief this decision makes while we simultaneously help them to move forward. Partnering with, um, partnering with our adoption partners, Michelle Deitman and Adoption Center for Hope, she is going to provide lifetime coaching for the women that go through our program, which is such a blessing. Our focus, just like our parenting home, House of Faith, is to help them set God-given goals, utilizing their God-given talents and gifts. Many of you have heard me speak last year about tiny treasures, and truly that is a dream come true and could only come from support from our area churches. Um, we receive many donations of baby and children clothing accessories. Certainly during 2020, it was out of control. That could have been uh, two full-time jobs. And I really prayed over how we could utilize those items that we're getting in, not just better for the women that we serve, but also for the whole community. That, uh, the idea of Tiny Treasures was born from that. We wanted to share things with the community at a fraction of retail through this unique boutique experience. And it all benefits Sarah's House and our local CPC. But it's become much more than that. We've been able to provide gift cards at the holidays to under-resourced families in our community through the partnership with Simi Valley Unified School District. We're partnering in May with the library to bring their summer reading program out into the community, not just at the library. Um, kids can come, do crafts, get free books from th those that have been donated to Tiny Treasures, and also sign up for the reading program at the library. And of course, build those families that know about Tiny Treasures. Um, Please join us in shopping and volunteering. Join Stonebridge's very own Gail Bass. Many of you know Gail. Um, she literally was an answer to prayer last year and when we began searching for a manager for Tiny Treasures. She is our only employee. Everything else is volunteer run. And please join her in serving our community. Volunteers are greatly needed as programs like these are launched and the traffic and sales in the store, praise God, have increased. Um, there are so many credible opportunities to share the hope of our Lord and Savior with not only the women at Sarah's house, but our entire community through Tiny Treasures. It's a place where people are prayed for, families are prayed for, families are directed to the local church. Um, Sarah's house invites you to come alongside us very much like the disciples in Mark. You too can share that joy of supporting and witnessing lives changed through Christ at Sarah's house. 
Thank you again for your prayers and support for our ministry. We could not do what we do without our church family. Thank you. So another statistic for you. About a quarter of women in the United States who are unmarried mothers live in poverty. We can't fix all of that here. That's not ours to fix. That's God's to fix. But what we can do is here in our community, make sure that the women here in our community know that there's at least one church trying to live out Mark's lesson here from Mark chapter 5. And by supporting Sarah's house, we can make sure that that message gets out there. So I'm going to say a prayer here for, for Laura, for the ministry, um, and then we'll take our offering. And the other thing I want to invite you to do is, you can see some of the baby bottles here on the offering the table here. Well, not the offering table, but now it's the offering table. There you go. I just renamed it. Um, sometimes it's communion table, now it's offering table. Um, you can see the baby bottles there. During our time of worship, as we're working with Sarah's house over the next few months, if you want to bring back a baby bottle and place it up here as a symbol of worship to God, because it is worship to God, then feel free to do that in the worship service. And we'll start collecting these up here so we can just see what our community is doing, how we're responding in that. But let's pray now. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for Laura. Thank you for her staff. Thank you for the work at Sarah's house. We thank you that through them, hope is being spread, Lord. A tangible hope, a concrete hope that the women who come through their program, the children who come through their program can have a life that reflects more what you want for them, but also an ultimate hope. In Sarah's house, they learn about you. They see people who worship you, who follow you, caring for them, and they learn about your love through that, Lord. So help us as a church to support them in this ministry. Help us to come alongside them, both as a church and as individuals, Lord. Help us to live out this message of Mark chapter 5. Letting all these women know that they are equal in your eyes. They are valuable in your eyes. They are loved by you, Lord. And because of that, they are loved by us as well. Your name.